0: I'm Amy Joe Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now Show. <laughs> you know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves why not now. We dissect that day or even that moment step by step. Why not now start a family? It is one of the biggest why not now as we'll ever go through. And if you're like me and you're currently in the middle of this process and or maybe you're just trying to make the decision, should we start now? Should we wait? This episode can provide some powerful information for you. Personally, this isn't something I've ever talked about publicly, but after my fertility journey and experience over the past few years and also listening to many others like my friend Ellen Gustafson who's on the show today, I thought it would be helpful for us to take a critical look at the topic of fertility and the current state of the industry, the science and research that has been done and hasn't been done, and also the powerful and sometimes misleading conversation around fertility. I've had two miscarriages, and as I approach 39 years old, as you can imagine, I am... Learning and studying and and doing as much as I can right now to understand more of what my future holds. Ellen, who you will hear from, has an unprecedented story. Her experience over the course of four plus years is unbelievable. It's so hard to believe. In fact, at times I feel like it's a movie script. One of my biggest takeaways is that Ellen realized her doctors simply didn't know enough. So she and her mom decided to take things into their own hands. Her mom even started to write handwritten letters to any doctor she could find. They started to uncover answers that some of the best fertility doctors in the world haven't been able to find. And although my situation is much more common than what Ellen has gone through, if you were to go online right now and start Googling certain situations relative to fertility, common situations, you will find mixed answers. You will find mixed signals from credible sources who have done scientific research. And so that's why I feel that this conversation is so important and for us to have these conversations. Also, there's another obvious factor at play, and that is women in their careers in deciding when should we start trying to have a child. There was a recent New York Times article that came out and shared a study, and it found that when women have their first child between the age of 25 and 35, their pay never recovers relative to that of their spouse. Yet when women have their first baby either before 25 or after 35, before their careers get started or once they're established, eventually they close the pay gap with their husbands. Obviously, we're in our prime career building years between age 25 to 35, but that's also the time when most women want to have children or are told they should have children. So we can see how this becomes confusing and conflicting. I know in my case, the echo chamber of you've got plenty of time was what I was hearing. And things like Janet Jackson just had a baby at 50. You've got plenty of time. But just because technology and innovation is advancing so quickly and we're seeing that people are getting married later doesn't mean evolution has advanced so quickly. So there are a lot of questions and a lot of conversations that aren't necessarily being had. And this is an opportunity for us today to start diving in. It's not that we have solutions and answers to everything, by no means. But there are some key things, especially with what Ellen went through and her desire to learn more, that we can learn from. For me, this episode is another Why Not Now? And that's, why not now open up a little more? And share a glimpse into areas of my life that I haven't shared before. And I asked myself, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I couldn't come up with a strong enough answer to not share because I know that if this episode helps one person or couple, then it's worth it. So a little bit about Ellen Gustafson before we hop in. She is a social entrepreneur. She's the co-founder of Feed and Food Tank. She is the co-director of the Summit Institute. She's a great friend of mine, and she's one of the smartest people I know. Oh, and she's also an author. Her book is called We the Eaters, so you can check that out as well. We tackle the most taboo topics on the Why Not Now show. Oftentimes, you're hearing guests share things they've never shared before, in the spirit of things we don't typically talk about, you should know that the Why Not Now show is supported by Poopery. Yep, the original before you go toilet spray. It's magic. My friends at Poopery have literally taken the smell out of you know what. This pure blend of essential oils stops bathroom odor before it begins. Visit poopery.com and Why Not Now listeners get 20% off with code Why not now? That's all one word. Also, you can now get Poopery at Bed Bath & Beyond. We all seem to know someone who's about to have a baby. And the question is, what do we get them as a gift? Do we really go to that registry and scroll through those sometimes boring items? Or do we wow them with something different and unique? I have a solution for you. It's called Baby Beats. Baby Beats are one-of-a-kind songs created using the recorded heartbeat of the baby in utero. The song is coupled with a video that includes photos of the expecting parents and their journey to parenthood, and then it's delivered to you in a cute little wooden box with a USB drive inside. It's adorable. Baby beats are a great solution for baby shower gifts or even for announcement videos for the expecting parents themselves. They can share these on social media, and it's really unique. If you are interested in Baby Beats, head to yourbabybeats.com and you get a 25% discount as a Why Not Now listener. So at checkout, enter in Why Not Now as your coupon code, Why Not Now, no caps, and you get 25% off. Head to yourbabybeats.com. Ellen, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me.
0: Likewise, it's so good to hear your voice and hopefully we can catch up as we are recording and navigating through this episode. Let's hop right in. Can you tell me about a time when you had to ask yourself why not now?
1: Yes, my my why not now moment has changed fairly dramatically in the past year as I've I've uh, had a child. My my daughter was born in June of 2017 and she was a what people would call a miracle of science and hope um, and uh, and a lot of other things. and the the process that I went through to to eventually have my my baby involved a lot of discovery and a lot of both scientific discovery but also my own discovery of 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 kind of the reality of the fertility industry and what women in their later 30s um, are dealing with, which is which is many, 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 many women in in my uh, in my cohort of friends. And the the why not now that i'm I'm sort of answering as we speak is that I, I want to write, and I'm going to write a, a book about this experience because I think there is a, a real need to have um, a, a deep and uh, critical look at the, the, the current state of the fertility industry and it also what, what women and and men and families are, are being told about, you know, about having children and having careers and balancing those things. And I, and I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying critical, just saying that everything's bad. I'm saying critical that I think there, there needs to be, um, a bit of a microscope and spotlight taken to this industry, um, and, and I realize, and my answer to why not now is why, why you know I am the one that should to be telling this story because I've been through so much, and uh, and I'm I'm very willing to share. So so why not share now?
0: I'm so glad that you're writing this book. I remember we lived so close to one another when I lived in San Diego on the boat. And just for listeners. Ellen would paddleboard over to the boat, and we would have you know, our chats. The best meeting, transportation ever. Absolutely, and we'd go on walks, and this was before your baby girl arrived, and this was actually in the thick of what you were going through, and you educated yourself to such an extent, and you were kind of bullish about it in a good way, that you have become a voice of authority, in my opinion. Um, Having gone through my own fertility journey and— having had a couple of miscarriages, I would lean on you for insight just as much as I would go online and research as well as talking to my doctors because you've talked to so many uh, scientists and you had such an interesting and quite an anomaly experience, right? So absolutely. Can you share a little bit about what that was just to give context? And then let's also talk about your opinions and thoughts on the state of the union because I've got a lot of thoughts on that too.
1: Yeah, so so my story is 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 crazy and um as one doctor I went to see before I even tried to get pregnant said which of course I never saw this doctor again but she said, "Wow, this girl has a really weird story." <laughs> which is not of course a very professional way to handle it if you're a doctor. Although that although it is true. So so we had in my, in my family for five generations, a mysterious, um, issue that would cause male babies, um, around five or six months pregnancy to just spontaneously die. So it would be, you know, fetal death, um, a a stillborn or a a late term miscarriage, whatever you want to call it. And the, you know, doctors in looking at these, fetuses that had died had no idea why they were dying and so as as painful as as this truth is my mom had four of these stillborns and I am an only child as a female and then um my grandmother had had two and she had five daughters and when I was you know in my 20s even I used to ask doctors had you ever heard of anything like this I mean every time I'd go to a new uh, gynecologist or um you know, or any honestly, any anyone I would meet in, in my in my you know in my world, I would ask about this this you know unexplained male fetal death, and of course, no one would have any idea. Some some answers would say you know maybe you needed to take a baby aspirin every day in your pregnancy because you, your body rejected the fetus, or or uh, there was a mil, a million reasons, but none actually ever seemed like it was the answer. So before I, I started to try to get pregnant, knowing that this was my history, I went to some genetic counselors to try and, and, and do a, you know, a full genetic workup on me to see, okay, is there anything that now that you could find, this was in 2014, um, is there anything now that you, that we could find that would explain, you know, why these babies were dying? Is there, am I carrying a disease? Do I have, and of course there was a million options and all of them were ruled out because I didn't have any of them. And so the only medical advice in 2014, um, you know, when I, my husband and I wanted to start a family was just go try to have a baby. (laughs) And so I was, I was 33, about to be 34. And, uh, and the first month that we set out to try to have a baby, we got pregnant and we did, I will admit that we did try to use some, sort of old wives methods of, of, of preferencing a girl. Um, although it turns out we didn't really do that right. So, so (laughs) that remains to be seen if we, um, but that's another book. (laughs) Oh, that's another book. Well, that's, that's going to be in this book because timing and, and eating a certain diet that was more acidic and all kinds of stuff. But, but so, so, so we ended up getting pregnant and we did the early, uh, genetic, uh, test screen. It's, it's a test now that you can do um, using your blood, which of course has blood from your pregnancy and, and in, in just pulling out your blood, they can tell if the baby is a boy or a girl and some basic chromosomal information. And so of course, um, you know, as the world would, would have it, we, our first pregnancy was a male. And, you know, knowing that the day that I found out, uh, that we were having a boy, um, I, I cried all night. I mean, I mean, I, I was, my, my parents cried. I mean, it was, we, we knew, we knew that it, it wasn't going to work out. And of course my husband, not only a, an optimist, but also not having lived with this, you know, genetic mystery in his life was incredibly optimistic. And so were my doctors, my, my call uh, you know, OBGYNs were incredibly optimistic and well, we don't know. And your pregnancy seems fine and everything's healthy and my mom just kept saying, "Yeah, well, that was the case for me too." And so, as it happened, um, I, I when I entered <clears throat> the second trimester of that pregnancy, I started to get weekly ultrasounds because I was very nervous that something would go wrong. And you know, true true to, to form, actually at the high level ultrasound around 21, 22 weeks, um, I found out that the baby had died. And again, no explanation, no cause of death. That you, you I was looking in the high level ultrasound and everything you know, it was fully normally formed. It's just that the, the heart wasn't beating anymore. And of course, this is a common thing for women who have any kind of pregnancy loss. The answer is we don't know why the baby died. And that's sort of, you know, I'll stop there initially because that's, that's one of the first issues I want to take on in this book. Why are women, when when the numbers, first of all, the numbers are not clear. It's either one in four or one in five pregnancies ends in miscarriage at all different stages of pregnancy. And right now, the vast majority of women, 80 to 90 percent of women, have no idea why the pregnancy ended. To me, that's insane. You know, when you have all the medical technology that we have, why are our women and these pregnancies just being you know, tossed aside, literally thrown in the trash, and said, "Well, we have no idea. Try again next time." So that's kind of the beginning of my journey, which, <laughs> which, which sets me off.
0: Mm-hmm. And just to add to that, too, it's we accept that that's the answer from the physicians, from the powers that be, because they are the ones that quote know everything, right? So even if you go online and start researching things, and we'll get into this later on down the road, but it just it becomes kind of part of our culture to just accept that. And we all know this is a very common thing, like in my case. I just kind of, you know, of course it's heartbreaking, but it's also a little it's brushed over because it's exactly you know. And so then that's all we know, really. I think it's for women who have had kind of your pretty normal situation of having miscarriages all the way to you and your situation was so uncommon, and there's so much to be learned. It's still as extreme as those two examples are. the answer is we don't know.
1: exactly and and the, so I was you know in the hospital, I tried to give birth to to the the fetus because I thought, well, if I can get this body out whole, then at least I can we can do some real research you know, and, and, and maybe in 2014, we, we, have more tools than, than existed in my mom's day in the eighties when she was having these, these stillborns. And as, as it happened, I couldn't, I couldn't deliver the baby, um, because, you know, my body didn't actually know the baby was dead yet. The doctors were saying that, you know, my, my body still thought I was pregnant, that it takes a little while to, to kind of have your, you know, your body naturally figure that out. So I had sort of surgery and, and, and at the end, at the end of the whole process, the answer to, you know, a a situation like that where we don't know why, but it seems like boys die in utero in my, in my, you know, female maternal lineage. The answer is go have IVF and test out to see if the embryo is a girl before you put it in. And of course, that's not actually solving the problem that's avoiding the problem. (laughs) But at the time when I was incredibly, you know, devastated and also desperate to have a child because I thought I was having a child, I I did it. And I started the process of IVF. And this is where the book and this and my personal story gets very, very interesting um, and much more relevant to many, many other other women and families. When I started IVF, I was just 34 and had just had a pregnancy. So I thought I am a very straightforward and quite easy IVF case because I had, I had the first month I tried naturally had a pregnancy that otherwise was totally normal and healthy. And so I thought, you know, if you have all this science to deal with people who are having trouble getting pregnant, oh my goodness, it should work very easily on me, on my body. The real shock was that it didn't. And so I started IVF at 34. I did two cycles within months of having lost my first pregnancy and both cycles failed one failed because I had a massive cyst that no one told me was an opportunity was it was a possibility and and it was because I got overstimulated and the second failed because I was probably understimulated. but in IVF form (laughs) uh, I have found in many with many doctors when you are you know probably given a cocktail of drugs that just didn't work on your body um, instead of being told hey, we doctors, you know, there's, a, there's many, many cocktails here, and we doctors chose one that just didn't work that well on you. Instead of being told that, you're basically told, oh, you must be infertile, it's your body. And being t- I, I was told that about, uh, about a year after I had gotten pregnant for the first time, that, oh, you, you're, you're really having fertility issues because IVF isn't working on your body and your egg count is very low, and your body seems to be you know, in serious decline. I mean, these are things I was told, actually, by a woman doctor who was around my age. And, of course, at the time I believed it, and I thought, oh my God, my one shot of having a baby ended in stillbirth, and I'm never gonna get pregnant again, and, and I'm having a failed cycle. So, but, of course, I, I, there was a piece of me, there was a logical piece of me that was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mm-hmm. just had a natural pregnancy. <laughs> So I decided to take a break from IVF and, and on that break, um, from IVF, I actually had what's called a chemical pregnancy. So a lot of women have this where you, you're trying to get pregnant. You, your period is, is, is delayed. You feel weird and potentially like you're starting to, you know, be pregnant and then your period comes late and, and it's kind of funky. And having, having been pregnant before I knew what my body felt like and so Um, I had one of those where, you know, I, 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 I was really kind of sick and then got a late period and that sort of reminded me, well, gosh, I don't, I don't want to do this again if, if I don't know that it's going to be a, a girl, you know, I, I just, it kind of instilled the fear in me of, of having a pregnancy and, and again, having to find out it was a boy and, and, and then make a decision quite honestly, because in my case, if it wasn't a boy, I would have had, I would have you know chosen to have an abortion because i i know what a what a late term pregnancy loss is like and that's horrible and so um so i mean really complicated stuff right mm-hmm. just for one person
0: and um, just to real quick hop in here i remember us talking this through at great length and we'd go on these long walks and it was almost like you felt here you, you don't have any medical background per se well i mean like the physicians that you were working with do. Right. Yet at the same time, we honestly felt like we needed our two brains uh, on this because totally. there was such a lack of answers that you and I were trying to figure this out. As, as your options were being presented to you, it's like, wait, isn't there another option? Isn't there X, Y, and Z? And so I just, it once again shows we're not the experts, yet at the same time, I have so much respect for how much you decided to take matters into your own hands and start researching, and it was almost like your fuel. This adversity just—it really just was,
1: yeah. I pushed mean, you forward, it, and and what, what what was really fuel to me, and I think which is what a lot of other women in this circumstance lack, just because of cir- circumstance. But but I had been pregnant, and it was easy. Like I mm-hmm. got pregnant very easily, and I had a, a healthy pregnancy, otherwise healthy pregnancy. And so these doctors telling me that I was infertile and, and having these other, you know, negative um, experiences with, with it, although are so devastating as a woman, the other side of it is there was this little kernel and this little light in the back of my head that said all the time, maybe the doctors are wrong because I did have this, I know I had this pregnancy. So my husband and I thought about doing some, 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 uh, there's these like, Sperm spinning that can try to preference female, and you can do interuterine uh, insemination where they they spin the the sperm and then they inject it into you, um, which is a sort of a, a simpler form of of, of um, reproductive treatment, and. Uh, you know, actually we, 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 we actually got down the path of of almost doing that. And the, the, the month I went in to try to do the intrauterine insemination, I didn't ovulate that month or I ovulated at a weird time and, and it wasn't showing up in the, in the ultrasound. And so again, I had this other hit that was like, oh my God, my fertility is dramatically declining. At this point I'm 35. And so I'm at that scary age that all women are, are scared by, um, and, and so doctors are starting to treat me. Okay. Now you're getting into the geriatric pregnancy category as they mm-hmm. actually can medically call it. And I was scared myself. I, my 35th birthday, my a f- a friend told me that she was pregnant and it, you know, Oh God, it was devastating. I went home and cried and I decided to go back to IVF and I said, look, you know, I don't want to have a natural pregnancy that I have to choose to end. And I, and, and, and I, I don't. I don't have confidence that I'll ever get pregnant again on my own. So I went back to a new doctor, and I, I, I really, really, really loved this doctor and his approach. And he he did a few things that I think are important for people to know. Number one, he put me on a very intensive supplement regimen. And when I started researching about these supplements, I found, my God, there's a lot of compelling evidence to suggest that these supplements are really important for women that are 30 in their thirties to, to make sure that they're, you know, doing everything they can to, to, to be fertile. Um, things like CoQ10, um, and, and actually high levels of vitamin C and, you know, a number of, of other, um, just like basic supplements I I started taking. And, and so that made me hopeful because I thought, well, gosh, this is different now. Right. And he also put me on a completely different IVF regimen. And that was another lesson for me. Oh, there are, there are like, Hundreds of different chemical combinations that you can give a woman to stimulate ovulation and 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 to and to sort of you know get get the eggs out at at peak time and that was another lesson to me. Well, why didn't I know that? Why I thought I was given the the IVF regimen. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that there were a million (laughs) other IVF regimens that might work. So so to go quickly uh, over this next sort of part of my life, I did. I ended up doing um, this first IVF cycle with the new doctor, and I got. Great 14 eggs, three perfectly healthy embryos that were all boys. And so talk about another crushing blow. Here I was, all I was trying to do was get girls. I had three perfect embryos and I couldn't use them because I wasn't about to implant boys again mm-hmm. without knowing the cause. I did a That, that was my third, my third IVF cycle. I did a fourth cycle. I got a girl and a boy. I tried to implant that girl alone. It didn't take. <laughs> I then did a, a fifth IVF cycle. And I got one more girl and I, I saved that girl with the four boys I had because I thought, well, look, here I am, you know, having had a failed implantation, I'm not going to do that again. I did a sixth IVF cycle and I got nothing. I, I was really stressed out at that time. I, you know, had a lot, a lot of stuff going on. And my doctor actually told me to cancel the cycle because he said, you're just too stressed. I just, I think this is not going to go well. And of course it didn't go well, but I pushed through anyway because being the type A crazy person, I was like, I just need another girl. So I ended six IVF cycles at 36 with five embryos, four boys and one girl. And concurrently with that, uh, another why not now was that when I... Went back to IVF. I said to my mom, um, "Look, I would love to understand the cause of this genetic issue, but I can't. I can't do that at the same time as I'm doing IVF. And so I need you to essentially take over the research part of my quest and figure out why this this happens in our family. And my mom, um, another why not an hour." literally sent hand letters to every doctor she'd ever seen when she was going through her stillborns in the eighties hand, like handwritten letters. Cause she, she just had their addresses. Like, you know, they didn't have email addresses then. Mm-hmm. And one of the doctors wrote back and she was now a Jewish chaplain, um, down in North Carolina and had been a top researcher in causes of fetal death and miscarriage. And she remembered my mom because my mom had had four stillborns. So a pretty memorable case, right? And she got back involved. And this doctor, Dr. Kowchak is her name, ended up getting us to a doctor at the Mayo Clinic who was very interested in our case and who was studying rare causes of sudden death, which is a perfectly good uh, description of of our case. And while concurrently I was doing these other four IVF cycles, my, the last four of my six, my, my mom and Dr. Kowchak and a Dr. Tester at the Mayo Clinic were deep in the genetic game of studying my, my family and understanding what was wrong. The one theory had been that on the X chromosome, of which women have two and men have one, there was some disorder that it, if as a girl you had another X from your father, you didn't have the disorder, you just carried it. And w- as a boy, if you got that X from your mother, then you you know, you, you, you would have the disorder. And that, that theory turned out to be exactly right. So in the midst of my IVF and, and actually right around the time of my last failed cycle, we found out that we, we made the gene discovery and it, it's a, it's a rare issue called IPEX syndrome. It's an autoimmune disorder. Some baby boys have it and are born and only live years. Some actually have it and have Survived into early youth, um, and there's some kids that are living with it right now. And there are, uh, there were three, of, two other cases. Sorry, we were the third uh, cases of this disorder, IPEX, that were that were publicly known. And so we, we being the third family that have our carriers and and, and have IPEX syndrome. We, we, we then were published in some medical journals um, because now they can say that as the, as us being the third case, this, this is really a, a thing that's a pretty potentially widespread issue that causes male fetal death in families. So we make this discovery. We have these embryos from all my IVF um, rounds on ice, as it were. And then we start the process of, can we test the male embryos that we have and see if any of them don't have IPEX? And so again, in the midst of these cycles that are essentially failing, we have a little ray of hope. The other side of the ray of hope is that as we've gotten to the close of our sixth cycle, that's a complete failure. I'm again faced with the very real medical diagnosis of infertility. Because I have had six IVF cycles and never gotten pregnant. Now, of course, part of it is because I did put in the boys. Right. And if I, maybe I would have, if I would have gotten, maybe I would have gotten pregnant if I put in the boys, but they probably wouldn't have survived, right? So, so here's, here's a person who had a natural pregnancy at 33, between 34 and 36, I have six IVF cycles and I've never gotten pregnant. It's, it's pretty problematic that my body is not producing a ton of eggs, um, you know, during these cycles, that would suggest that I have declining fertility. What's interesting is that I'd gotten a test right before I started my first cycle, which was again, right after I'd had a stillborn. So a natural pregnancy and a stillborn. And when I did that, the FSH test, then my number was bad. Like it suggested that I really was, was declining fertility. When I went to the new doctor and this now was a couple, you know, a year later, after a couple failed cycles, I did that, that same test again. And my number was perfectly fine and normal. Remember, I, I, I've got, I have all these failures, but I have all this weird data. And the fact that this is a number that, that people use to, to define someone's basic fertility and mine was dramatically different in, in the opposite direction. <laughs> so as I got older, somehow the number got better, kind of suggests to me that maybe those numbers are not that good. And mm-hmm. that the, that we're, we're, we're testing women with tests that we actually don't have a lot of good data on and, and maybe are not good numbers. So I end the cycles. I, I, I'm not pregnant. I have five embryos on ice and we're waiting to hear what the results are. Um, to, to, if, if any of the, the four males that we have don't have the genetic disorder, and so my husband and I end up going on a trip and, uh, and, and we had not had not in the whole time since our first pregnancy, we had not, uh, we had not like even tried to get pregnant because you can't, when you're doing IVF, you can't really get naturally pregnant because you're taking the pill and then your, your eggs are taken out. And at this point, I, I fully believed that I was infertile anyway because IVF wasn't working. But all I was doing was now waiting to find out the results. If any of the males, if any of the males were okay, I would have a shot. I'd put a male and a female in because I had the one girl, and I'd have a shot of, of getting pregnant. And I, and I believed at this time this was my only shot. That was it. That was the only kid, you know, kids I was ever going to have. So my husband and I take a vacation, and on our vacation, we learn that of the three, of the four males, three of them are totally fine and don't have the IPEX syndrome. And this is like a major genetic discovery and then a major dose of positive information. Because this means we have three males and one female that are totally fine. And that, if you're doing IVF as a, as, as a, as a couple without this genetic disorder and you have four healthy embryos, you are game on because you're going to do two the first shot to the second shot and you have a very good chance of getting pregnant the numbers are if you put two in the numbers suggest that you have about an 80 percent chance of getting pregnant with one um and you have a 40 percent chance of, of getting pregnant with twins and maybe those numbers are high but for someone like me i'm, an, I'm gonna take it because i was still relatively young so i'm 36 i've got four good embryos and my husband and i are on this vacation and my doctor says hey when you get your next period come back in to, to, to see me. And, and we'll, we'll start planning the, the implantation. He's like, when are you going to get your period? I'm like, I don't know, like two weeks or something like that. So two weeks later, I go back to the doctor and I am ready to put in a girl and a boy and finally, you know, be, get pregnant mm-hmm. for real. And I say to the doctor when I walk in, Hey, before we start the appointment, can you, can you just do a quick ultrasound and just see how my, my baseline, you know, is, is doing. And and he, and he you know he's like okay you're weird so he start he gives me the ultrasound but but I actually knew why I was asking him to give me an ultrasound because I had already taken a pregnancy test and I was naturally pregnant and he gives me that ultrasound and he starts crying he's like wow, oh my god what what is this and I said yeah exactly
0: and you don't know at this point the sex
1: I have no idea the sex I'm monitored very closely he being a fertility doctor and not an obstetrician is super cautious. So I have like a slightly low progesterone level and he immediately supplements and gives me some, some medicine to take. And, you know, I'm at this point, I'm like, I don't even know what to think. What the one thing I do say to my husband is even if this pregnancy ends in an early miscarriage or it ends up being a boy, I will always have, the reassurance that my body did get naturally pregnant again after all of that horrible mm-hmm. devastation. We, we ended up, um, we ended up being, we, you know, pregnancy continues to, to, to kind of move along nicely. And at 11 or 12, I think it was 11 weeks, I did the blood test again and I, I, I was traveling uh, for work and I got a call from my nurse from my regular obstetrician and she's crying and she says, Ellen, it's a healthy girl. And I mean, it was, you know, I mean, after so much, the most unbelievable news um, I can ever imagine. And then I lived in absolute fear, as any woman who's had a miscarriage will attest, Um, for the entire rest of my pregnancy, (laughs) that that something wouldn't go right. And I was lucky, I would tell you this, I was lucky to have gestational diabetes in that pregnancy because I had to then get monitored twice a week at the end. And as someone who had a stillborn, I was thrilled to be monitored so closely. And my eight-pound, two-ounce baby daughter was born on uh, June 7th, a day after her due date, and totally healthy, totally fine the why not now of writing the book is not just let's celebrate this story. It's let's remember all of the doctors who said to me along the way that I had crazy fertility issues and show them this perfectly healthy baby girl after the years and years and years of IVF not working Mm -hmm. came into the world in the, in the, in the usual way (laughs) to, to quote Kat Stevens. I mean, totally, healthy normal natural pregnancy so that's a pretty interesting tale and a pretty important I would say story for a lot of women that are in their 30s and uh, and 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 I don't mean to say that I've solved some big problem what I mean is to say is that I think I've cracked a little bit of the of the of the um, or I should say I, I I think I've proven in my own case that we just don't know mm-hmm. a lot about the female reproductive system and that we we should stop, you know, really hurting women
0: when we just don't know. Your story is unbelievable. And even as someone who knows it, I'm like sitting here in tears, uh, recounting it and going through, you know, the steps is just six IVF treatments by the age of 36 and everything prior to that and just there's there's so many takeaways from this and I'm so glad you're, you're writing the book and I remember us talking about you writing the book but when you're on the other side of this which thank goodness you're on this side now one of the things that I think is really frustrating is that if someone were to go on right now and just start googling and researching you could find an article from the new york Times from N- nPR from The Atlantic, and all these medical legit uh, sources that say different things studies that have been done, and they suggest certain time periods, and then the other the next one will be completely different so it's just it's mind boggling that here it is two thousand and eighteen. And we're so innovative on so many fronts, yet this is a bit of a mystery still. And I think sometimes the physicians kind of try to pretend like it's not an issue because they don't know. And that's just frustrating because your story is, was so complicated, yet it ended up being so simple. And then you were within the kind of prime age, right?
1: Yeah. And we yeah like- I mean, I had my daughter... A- <laughs> About two weeks after I turned thirty-seven,
0: right. So I mean, and you had started when you were thirty-three. So it's right. It's not like you were outside of that gap. And an article that you actually had sent me that really resonated was um, from the New York Times, and it talks about when women have their first child uh, between the age of twenty-five and thirty-five, their pay never recovers. It talks about you know the pay gap and the window of that 10-year kind of window of when women are supposedly the most fertile. I look at, you know, how advanced we are with people getting married at later ages and technology and innovation, yet evolution doesn't necessarily mean it's advancing as quickly. And at the same time, there are these disconnects, you know, of a lot of women are trying to decide, should I you're at the prime of your career, usually around 35 ish, and you are hitting your stride. You know, should I um, wait to have kids until after that? Should I not? And And so I think a lot of women are making decisions to hold off and have kids later. And in my case, I'll be 39 in a few months, and I've had two miscarriages. I just kind of look back at the last couple of years, last even five years. So many people told me, you've got time, you've got time, whether it's, you know, people that maybe I shouldn't have been listening to, and I've done my own research, of course, but I think there's a false narrative that, no, you've got time, which we don't know that. And I'm not suggesting I don't. I'm definitely, I know the numbers and what is out there, and this is a danger zone for sure. But there's a sense of people just wanting to reassure you. Hey, you've got plenty of time. You know, Janet Jackson just had kids at age 50. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I don't know that that's necessarily that helpful. It, you know, and then doctors tell me two different things oftentimes.
1: Well, so so two so two my my two learnings that I feel very passionate about, um, you know, sharing is is is. Well, one is not so much of a learning. One, one is that, look, right now, the fertility industry is essentially a cash business because insurance doesn't generally pay for it. So when you're going in as a, as a, as a very vulnerable person because you, especially, as, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think men feel, feel a lot of this vulnerability, absolutely. And, and by the way, a lot of infertility is male factor. A lot and it's not not studied anywhere i mean female fertility is not studied and males certainly not studied but a lot of it is male factor but women go in very very vulnerable feeling like this is the my body is literally built to do this and i can't do it right so that that's a that's a pretty core vulnerability and then you go into a doctor that is essentially only getting paid more if you don't succeed (laughs) and and you know just as a as a basic capitalist observation Mm -hmm. That's not a great setup for, for for women, right? Because as you get increasingly more vulnerable, as I can personally attest, six IVF cycles paid out of pocket later, as you get more personally vulnerable, you're willing to spend more money. And, and, you, and, and you don't ever want to be the person who says, I didn't have a child because I wasn't willing to spend enough money and go into enough debt. Because of course you're willing to if you really want to have a child, right? Right? Mm-hmm. So... So that's, so that's, that's number one. And I think, I think that is a, a major issue that has to be dealt with. Number two is that we don't study fertility across the board. So it's not like every woman, when she starts to go to an, a, a, a gynecologist, gets baseline fertility testing, and that goes into a big pool of, of data and then we know, oh, this person at 21 was this and at 25 was this and at 32 it took them this long to get pregnant. We don't know any of that. All we know from a data perspective is, is, is on people who are going into fertility clinics and getting this testing. So probably people who are predisposed to have some sort of, you know, issue getting pregnant. So that means the data is not very good. So here we are looking at, at where women who are very, you know, potentially women who are, who are pretty analytical and, 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 and driven are looking at pretty bad data to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I always, I, I like to joke is that the numbers of, 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 miscarriages, if it's one in four, or one in five, with it, those numbers are both, I don't know. I, I just don't know which the number is, right? It's probably, it's probably one in four. If that's how many pregnancies end in miscarriage, that's miscarriage, especially, you know, is something that is, 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 is absolutely devastating, but it doesn't kill you well, it can kill you, but it usually doesn't kill you. Right. So, so, but it's, but it's, but it's a woman's thing. And, you know, being, being a good feminist, I I like to remind people that if one in four men was only born with one testicle, it wouldn't kill them, but, but it it would be pretty personally devastating. And you know what? We would know why we would know why.
0: (laughs) Well, there are plenty of opportunities to research this like you said you know it's it's definitely it's not like this is a rare situation there's
1: problem. no the reality is it is beneficial to wait as a woman professionally to wait until you have children but, but the other side of that story that we also don't love to talk about is the reason for that is because we don't demand a family structure where fathers and partners are equally demanded on for childcare the reason that 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 article has to even be written is because the assumption is that women have to do so much more of the work in, in raising a child. So we can't make those statements about how it is better for women professionally to wait till 35 without saying the reason for that is because men are not held to the same standard when they're talking about having children. If, if a man was going in for a job and his wife was about to have a baby, it wouldn't factor one iota. But if a woman was going in for a job about to have a baby, it would be potentially game-changing.
0: Right. It's it's a complete disconnect. You know, there's a there's a huge clash here of of these two things. And I list, listening to your story and looking back and being really um, just mindful of each step of the way, most people probably wouldn't have pushed that hard for the research. And the fact that you had enough insight and knew yourself well enough to hand it to your mom to take the lead on at a certain point was so smart because, I mean, the handwritten letters and her being able to connect with someone who was willing to help and then get that case up to the Mayo Clinic, that's allowed you to better understand your entire situation, which will allow more people to as well. But it took years of you pressing and pushing. And one of my biggest takeaways for anyone, if they're struggling with a fertility challenge or not, or, you know, even thinking about having kids is that ask your questions. And if you don't like the answers, or if you don't believe that you found all of the facts, go somewhere else and ask more and keep asking more. I think that's the only thing we can do right now. You can educate yourself, but there is a lot of conflicting data
1: out there. Absolutely, and I mean, I think, I know from, you know, you and I being friends, <clears throat> and I and, and and quite honestly, I know from a lot of my other friends like us, that, and my own, and of course, my own experience is the perfect illustration of this, there is a vast discrepancy in care when it comes to fertility treatments and support, vast discrepancies. And you'll look at websites of fertility clinics, and they advertise, you know, what their numbers are. And, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's helpful, but the other side of it is, you know, this is a case where you can't just go to the regular doctor that happens to be in your neighborhood. This is a situation where in many cases you need to keep looking and searching until you find a doctor who meets your needs. And, And so, and I can tell you that my needs were, I, I, I needed to know a lot of information from my doctor. Um, And I needed to be very in the loop on why I was taking certain drugs and why, why not. And my eventual successful doctor, um, putting me on a supplement regimen gave me a lot of confidence because I felt like we're doing things that I can do every single day to improve my chances here. And so, you know, I think, I think knowing yourself and knowing and and knowing how you want to approach this, this challenge in your life, and then finding the doctor that really does meet that is incredibly, incredibly important in this, Mm -hmm. in this journey. Um, you know, to your point. I mean, of course, that's a, that's the same in any medical journey. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will have had other medical stories where it's it's your own grit and push and demands that finally get you the right answers. But, but this is certainly one of those.
0: Absolutely. I mean, having gone to doctors in different states myself, it's night and day of what, A, they're even willing to do because, you know, there was one doctor that said, no, I don't think you need those tests yet. I think you've got plenty of time. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a guess. You know, that's a total guess. You could do this test and be sure, or you could just guess and bring me back in in six months. I'm like, I don't know about this. This doesn't quite sound right because, because I am 38, almost 39. It's amazing. And then I look at the doctors and San Diego and the one specifically I went to that you suggested from your clinic, your fertility clinic, and (laughs) they're willing to do over and, uh, you know, beyond and above what I even knew to ask for. So it's, it it is so important to do your own research, but also keep going to, to other um, physicians if you feel
1: like it's just not, you're not, making sense of what's going on and I also think I think I think look I think you know the thesis of this conversation is both my own why not now of writing the book but is also is the reminder to women and families and couples to ask yourself why not now when you're talking about having a family and I think you know uh, it's one of the most important why not nows that that we have to face as a as a as a group of professional women, as a culture, um, as as a as a as a workforce, and I think, you know, the the reason I bring all those other things into it is because as much as it's a quote unquote personal decision, if you are someone who really values, um, you know, the and and most people value their own careers. I'm not suggesting people don't, but if it, if it's something that's important to you to stay working and to stay on your path, it is really important to be a little bit strategic right and that's mm-hmm. why people like you and I are having this conversation because we have tried to be strategic and when we have children but the other side of it is it's also important to, to include in your strategy figuring out the the, the baby thing and it, it, and it might take some work just like your your career has taken work and, and I and I don't think that look I think we there needs to be so much more science before we go around telling women when they should try to have children and not and and just and just looking at a woman, you know like me who was in my mid 30s or or like you at 39 just just the blanket statement is oh you should have tried earlier is 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 completely ignorant and unfair because we don't know. And so until we know, until there's actual hard data that says you really should try before X age, you can't go around telling women that they should have they should have known, <laughs> right? And because of that, I think it's incredibly important for us to say why not now and know the answer and then when it is now, when now comes, be able to say, "Look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think of this as an additional part of my of my real energy and focus, and and you know, give it as much time as I give my career in many ways. Because I think some, I think, I think you know, for those of us for whom there there needs to be additional work aside the the obvious <laughs> to have a baby, taking it on as though it's part of your career uh, is it, it, it's that you need that much. You don't, I can't say you, everyone needs that, but many of us need that much dedication to really make it happen.
0: Right. Oh, that's so well said. And I think that that question, you know, life changes and shifts and moves. And sometimes it takes a lot longer than we think. And so even though you might say, why not now? And yes, we want to start a family right now, you have no idea what that looks like, obviously. But sometimes I, d- I don't think we really take that into account too much. So, but okay. So the book, do you have a timeline at all? Or I'm sure listeners are wanting to, to know more and be able to keep an eye out for it.
1: Well, I don't have a timeline yet. I'm working through that. Um, you know, figuring out who's going to publish it, what I'm hoping. Um, and this is the, the sort of teaser, not just the book teaser, but the real teaser is that, um, later this summer, um, summer of 2018, I'm going Im- to be implanting that boy and girl embryo, embryos, that I had been planning to implant this time around before my daughter and nature got got in the way, <laughs> <laughs> um, happily got in the way. And uh, so, so I am hoping that by the spring, summer of 2019, I will have actually uh, even more information to share in my story because uh, I will have had either one or two of those babies. And the real, you know, the, the real sort of uh, opportunity is, is if, if the male of that pair uh, ends up taking, and then I can fully, fully prove that the IPEX syndrome was the cause of male fetal death and that this male baby was born totally healthy and fine. And so I, what I'm hoping is that as I, as I, as I work on writing, Um, That maybe the pub date can be, you know, uh, by the time, it'll be out um, with me knowing whether or not some of those embryos have taken. Or or Mm -hmm. else I'll just have to update people Mm -hmm. in other ways.
0: (laughs) Well, and that's, where can people follow you in the interim?
1: I I am at Ellen Gustafson on Twitter. Um, which is where I I put most of this stuff. And uh, the tentative uh, title for the book is is very appropriately, Trying. (laughs) Oh, I
0: love that. And your last name, G-U-S-T... G-U-S-T-A-F-S-O-N. There you go. Good, good. Just in case somebody didn't quite nail that the first time. Ellen, thank you so much for sharing your story, for educating us. This is just... Uh, such an awesome conversation and being able to learn and your grit you know to keep going and props to your mom too that's yeah it's just an incredible story and I thank you so much for coming on the show
1: thank you for having me and thanks for thanks for sharing your story Amy and you know we're all rooting for you in your this particular why not now journey thank you
0: everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. Hit me up on social media to let me know what you think. I'm at Amy Joe Martin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I want to hear your why not now moments so I can share them on the show. Just send me a note to why not now at amyjomartin.com for show notes and other offers. You can visit amyjomartin.com forward slash why not now And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for my email newsletter for exclusive content and announcements. A big thanks to Rock Salt Music for all of the tunes by the talented John Coggins. And of course, a hat tip to Richard Gruer for editing and producing the show. I'll see you next time. And until then, why not now?